Stupid fucked up, wicked high Don't you ever just wonder why We didn't learn the true history But now they're about to teach you and me Oh, 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 oh. high story Welcome back. Welcome Yay! to Untold High Story, everyone. This is I'm, your favorite podcast where we... I hope so. But no, we always forget this. I'm Abby. Ah! And I'm Liv. I'm going to remember that now because <laughs> I haven't just smoked actual marijuana. Right. I ate a delicious chocolate we bar. Ate edible. edible. You hear those horror stories of like people coming home to their college house after making brownies yeah. and find roommate <laughs> face down on the floor in a pile of their own drool. Yeah. And they like literally call the ambulance and freak the fuck out only for the doctors to start laughing and be like, I, I feel like the high. first time I ever got too high, I almost called the ambulance because I remember like grabbing my friend Jackie's arm and being like, I'm not gonna I'm gonna fucking die. I'm like not you gonna need make to it. get me home. I'm not in my first my thought and my my sister will appreciate this. I'm gonna miss family dinner is like all I kept thinking in my head. It was family dinner night and I was gonna miss family dinner and I was like <laughs> She's gonna know. I can't go to family dinner. I'm She's too know fucked some... up. Everybody's gonna fucking Mom's know. Gonna I'm know. so high. Like Oh it was my god. Up. That's super funny. I digress. Honestly, We're here. I'm gonna be honest. If you haven't caught on after episode this is six, so after five episodes. Yeah. We continuously talk about drugs. Drugs are good. This is what we Alcohol do. Alcohol is so fun. We're drinking enjoy- wine out of a can right now. I am not. You are. You wine okay. out of a can is not Fair. good. It's because you make more money than me, and she orders those like wine memberships. Yay! But tell okay. me about your person. Yeah, I'll tell, tell you about me my about someone I didn't learn about in history class that's important, and I'm Just a excited cool lady. about. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I'm talking about Mary Fields. Okay. So Mary Fields was the first BIPOC woman to carry mail for the Postal Service. And, and not only the first person of color, but she was the second only female to ever carry mail for the Postal and Service. And let me guess, she had to wear the same awful uniforms as the men. No, because back then they didn't really have uniforms. Oh, okay. But, uh-huh, this leads in, she was not like any old lady. She was... Do tell. She was like exciting stuff. And because we were talking about sources, obviously Wikipedia is like life, but but I also got a lot of this from this weird website called Britannica. Okay. And History That's... Net. Anyway, Mary was born into slavery around 1832 in Hickman County, Tennessee. Okay. So I'm saying around because, of course, back then, no one kept birthdays, especially in the South. Mm-hmm. And this is all, like, speculation of, like, what she did. So we don't have any specifics on her first 30 years of life because of slavery and no one really kept records. And even though Mary Nobody was... Nobody really cared. Yeah. Let's no one, be honest. No, no mean, one cared. Yeah. And Mary was literate though which is really cool so isn't that illegal at the time yes okay yes okay and it doesn't really say how she like learned to read and write i'm assuming obviously she had some like kick-ass parents who were like fuck the system we're gonna do what we want but even then she didn't even keep any like written records at all like nothing of her life because she knew she would die if she did probably couldn't own paper couldn't own pen things like that so she wasn't emancipated until 1865 and that was Mm -hmm. a few years after so even after they won the civil war she was still like in slavery for a few years because she was in the south obviously and then it was really kind of unclear what she did she she moved to mississippi that's what some people say on a steamboat 
out. Okay. But then others say she went to Florida because she had this like family friend that she knew who was a judge. Okay. And she went there to like take care of his wife and her children. But then eventually she goes to Ohio. So she still is like hasn't even thought about career life. She literally spent like she's just surviving first, at this yes, point. Yes. Her literally like first half of years were in and she slavery ended up in poverty. Ohio. Yes. And now she's in Ohio. Okay. So this is the part that I just love about her because so she lived in Toledo because there's an Ursuline convent. So it's like some weird convent with a bunch of nuns and sisters. Right. And she had a really good family friend named Mother Amadou. So she was like friends with a bunch of nuns. Mind you, Mary is over six feet tall, 200 pounds, and like a tomboy. Dresses like a, she's like a rough, like super rough around the edges. She is rude, has a temper, drinking problem, smoking problem. Like, oh boy. She's Sounds a, like my kind of woman. <laughs> she's a rough lady. But of course, she's best friends with a nun, which mm. is amazing. And this nun, Mother Amadeus, got her job at the convent. So she literally like did the nun's laundry and kept... But she wasn't a nun. No. She was able to work at the convent, but she wasn't a nun. Yeah. So That's she would go out and like get fucking wasted and get into <laughs> bar fights. She would literally <laughs> like work her little nun job and yeah. then she'd like go get trashed That's in the cool. town yeah That's she was cool. she was good for a, her she was like a very good life very good life so a lot of people did not like her but because mother Amadeus was so high up like she was like the head fucking nun like head sister everyone was just kind of like cool we'll have Mary around like no big deal so later on in life Mother Amadeus at this point is in Montana and Mary is still in Ohio but in 1885 Mary gets invited out to Montana some people say that Mother Amadeus was sick and needed her care and others were like Mother Amadeus is starting this new mission and she wants Mary out to help so that what kind of mission like a cult are you are you like leaning towards a cult but not saying cult or like I mean, is it a cult because I need to know all religions are kind of cult well yeah but it's, so it's a it's a religious thing then it is a cult yes kind of it's, okay. it's like it's it just kept calling it the yes. mission. The mission. I'll just keep backing you into a corner until you tell me it's a cult. Things were going really well for her in Montana. And she was pretty much doing the same thing. So like working at this mission, doing all the chores, whatever, like manning the garden, all that stuff. But unfortunately, she her drinking and smoking habits were so terrible. <laughs> and she would not stop getting into bar fights that all the nuns got together and kicked her out. And was like, we love you. You're amazing. But, right. you're, but you're not upholding our morals. You can't be you gotta here. Like, go. get out. Yep. Like, bye-bye. God <laughs> loves you, but you gotta go. Figure your shit out and yeah. then come back to us. Yeah. Do, because that was kind of their thing. They're like, we love you and we'll look Oh, they were you. hoping that she would, they, like, yeah. become a nun? Well, well just, like, <laughs> just like <laughs> clean our shit up. They were literally like, we want you to stay here forever, yeah. but, like, So, Mary moved out and moved into the town Cascade. Because, like, okay, now you're making this really sound like a cult. Because the mission was like outside of the town not like in the town I'm not making shit sound like a cult it is a cult and that's why it sounds like one god yeah now that I'm reading it yeah in a new light, very it's culty 
It's it's okay though. Very like culty. we're not in it, so that's what that's matters. fine. So yeah, so Mary's in Cascade at the time, and she tries to open a couple restaurants. Spoiler: they failed epically okay. because like she wouldn't stop giving out free food. Like that's Mary for you. People that's come, me as a bartender. Yeah, <laughs> like, she, people come in and be like, "I'm so sorry, but I'm so hungry, but I just like can't afford to eat." And she'd be like, "I'll just make you some some." Let's make some quick. And right. Then she, like, if we just, have the resources, why not? Yeah. And then she went bankrupt. And then finally ended up opening a laundry shop and then was doing some like odd jobs, small jobs around town. So she was doing really well at the laundry shop. But then. Does that mean like a laundry mat or was she like actively doing people's laundry? Like what? It would. Laundry, it, shop? laundry shop. It was literally like. like laundry mat. Laundry. No, not a laundry mat. Or a. a like a dry cleaner. Dry cleaner. Yeah. Thank you. Oh my but God, like I a rundown version dry cleaner because you have to think about that like in the 1800s washing machines were not you know i mean obviously there was not you would literally wash all your literally my mom still to this day tells me it's 2020 and my mom tells me like oh you need to dry clean that and i'm like (laughs) have you ever heard of a fucking washing machine no mother that's why i buy one size too big because i shrink all my clothing like because i'm not about to nobody's doing it anymore just move on everyone nobody wants to do it anymore no dry cleaning is a thing of the past but yeah so she was doing pretty well but for some reason in her 60s she was like career change i'm ready we just talked about this yeah in her 60s she was like who cares what age you are fucking do it right anytime so she pulled all of her money together from her laundry shop and odd jobs and she purchased a contract to be a star route carrier for the united states postal office so I need it. Do you know what a star route is? And it's okay because I had no. I have to believe it's like the best route, right? Like star route, like it's of the stars, like famous people, important people who wouldn't necessarily be trusted with regular mailmen. Right? Not really. No. Not really. Okay. I mean, I mean, they were held to a better standard, but okay. so I had to, I had to look it up, obviously. Okay. So I went to like the USPS website, which was super fun. Mm-hmm. And when the United States Postal Service was created, the Postmaster General was able to hand out jobs to local stagecoaches and pay them. The post office would hire out people and like pay them to run mail. But then in 1845, they realized that it was just really not economical to be like right, spending that much money on transportation hello government for you oh we don't have enough money to pay people so we're gonna <laughs> flip it around and make it sound like this amazing deal that you're buying into and then you pay us for a contract to like deliver mail and then when you buy it then you get like a lesser salary than what they originally were doing wow yeah so <laughs> this is the u.s postal service everyone that was in the 1800s. That was in the 1800s. Okay, still though. But but they would they like called it the the job with celerity, certainty, and security. So that's where the three stars came from because they started just identifying it as three oh. asterisks for celerity, certainty, and security. You keep saying celerity. What is that? Is that? Are, do you mean to say solidarity? Yeah. No, it says it said celerity. What the fuck does that mean? I've Should never I look heard it that up? Word. Swiftness of movement. So basically. Oh, so swiftly they did this fucking thing. Yeah. Got it in motion. It was certain they never made thing. mistakes. It was very secure. Your mail was always safe with us. I like it when you snap so, at me like that. That's where that came from. And a lot of it, they were only pretty much in rural or thinly populated communities because then they would have like a private mail carrier under contract. It was just a way for them not to have to like 
send people out to areas that were very like scarce. So Mary, she, I told like I said in the beginning, the per- first BIPOC and the second woman ever to receive a star route contract. And of course the Ursuline nuns helped her get it. So, right? So they loved her and they helped her secure. It was a 15 mile route between the mission. So she literally delivered mail to the nuns. From the nuns all the way out. All the way to Cascade. Okay. It was only to Cascade, Montana. So it was very a 15 cool. mile route and she would like ride it back and forth on a stagecoach and deliver mail from the nunnery to all the areas in town and then like vice versa. Like with the mail on her back though. Like she didn't have like a truck or a van or no, like she, she drove she, she rode the bus. She had horses or stagecoach, right. Yeah, so like, she yeah. had horses pulling the like a wagon. Yeah, like a wagon with all of the mail. It was like horses and mules or and one mule named Moses and she, in her eight years she never missed a day ever. She never missed a day of carrying mail, which happens six days a week. Right. And it earned her, her reliability earned her the nickname Stagecoach. So she was known as Stagecoach Mary. And Show up for your people. Right. And obviously in Montana, obviously it snows a lot. And when the snow would be too deep for the horses, she would get snowshoes. Shut up. And, and like walk that shit and out. And walk the 15 mile one way stretch with mail on her back. Okay. That just seems very unrealistic. How would you walk 15 miles in a day? How? Well, you said you can walk like three miles in half an hour. Oh, that is not what I said. Wow. Everyone scratch that from the record. I can walk a one mile, mile in, in like 30 minutes? 15 minutes. Oh, so two and 30. That's not bad. So she built a reputation of being fearless while working as a mail carrier. This is the shit back in the day as a mail carrier. You did not have it easy because not only did she just have to deliver it, she had to protect it because there were bandits, thieves, wolves. Should we get attacked by wolves? Wolves. Wolves. It's a real thing, family. Yeah, and the weather. So <laughs> that's and the weather. And the we- well, think about like blizzards, freezing temperatures, sleet, rain, tornado. Like mm-hmm. Montana's got it all, and it's true. She had to brave that and never missed today. Like what the fuck? She was a sixty-seven-year-old woman that would carry a rifle and a revolver every time she delivered mail. She was not fucking around. She was like, get the. Fuck out of my mail. Well, route. it probably didn't help that she was like a person of color. So, oh, like, not at all. Obviously, she was targeted in that way. And also, mm-hmm. yes, she was a female. And also, yes, she was imposed. Like, there's all yeah. these different fabrications yep. that she had to deal with. That's yeah. She had everything against her, and she was like, "Well, fuck you all. I'm gonna show you that I am way better than all you guys think I am, and I'm super awesome and strong and fearless." And she made a fucking great ass life for herself. Hell yeah. Yeah. So she pretty huh. much did that for the eight years, and then retired. At the age of 71 okay. and then passed away in 1914. 1914. Yeah. So, so she was. So she didn't 82. have to live through prohibition. That's good. Yeah. She, she, she got, got to out drink of all the whiskey she wanted to. Oh, she was a drinker. Okay. Yay. Here we go. Well, I'm going to go next. Yeah. So that was my story. I hope you enjoyed. Is this So that cool? was the first female of color to work mm-hmm. in the post office industry. Yeah. And second ever female, just in general female. Despite race. Yeah. Pretty, I think pretty that crazy. is, it. yeah, that in and of itself is dope. Tell me about yours. I'm excited to hear. So I have to ask you, are you very familiar with any female directors in like early Hollywood? Honestly, none at all. Okay. I do not know a lot about that. So is this about that? Well, cool. I'm going to tell you the story of Dorothy Arzner. Dorothy A-R-Z-N-E-R. 
Cool. Okay. She was born in San Francisco. She grew up in Los Angeles. And there, her parents owned a restaurant. Okay? So it was through this restaurant that she was able to meet a lot of the Hollywood elites, which is kind of cool. Do we know what timeline this is in? I'm going to get there. It's early. It's like mid mid to late 1900s. Oh, okay. Roughly. Um, So we're talking like 1950s, 1960s. After finishing high school, she enrolled at the University of Southern California, where she spent two years studying medicine. Oh. She was trying to become a doctor. Cool. After finishing, she... So here we go. During World War One, she joined okay. a local Southern California ambulance unit. After spending a summer working in the office of a respected surgeon, she decided that she did not want a career in medicine. She's stated as quoting, I wanted to be like Jesus, she said. <laughs> Heal the sick and raise the dead. But instantly, without surgery, pills... Etc. So that kind of gives you a little bit of an insight into what kind of person she is. She's a, a creative person at that, yeah. right? So she I wants was to say show this part. That's my Minnesotan response. Right. Interesting. She wants to Different show this kind me. of weird, gory, oh. not common part, but not in real life, she yeah. realizes. So she kind of tries it out for two years. She decides it's not for her. Yeah. So after World War One, the film industry was in need of workers, okay? Hollywood is not on the forefront of people's brains at yeah. this point. It's well, yeah, the war. It's rations, people coming home not, from the yeah, war. It's, it's rations. Right. It's supplies. It's guns. It's boots. It's uniforms. All the shit. So according to her, like, Arzner herself, this was her opportunity to get her foot in the door. It was possible for even inexperienced people to have an opportunity if they showed signs of ability or knowledge, she said in a 1974 interview published in the Cinema magazine. So this is 1974. Now, a girlfriend from college, and now I struggled with this because you're my girlfriend from college. I refer to you as that often. We don't know whether this was just a friend or if this was like a partner. A, like a girlfriend. Because she was, yeah. and I'll touch on it later, she was like outwardly a lesbian. Oh, so they're not sure if this was just like a friend or right. someone She's that just was just called like a like little more. Girlfriend. That could be many different um, things. But she suggested that Arzner meet with William DeMille. Oh. D, like capital D, lowercase e, capital M-I-L-L-E. Oh. Never heard of him. Yeah. But I'm assuming A major like director a okay. from the parent company of Paramount. Oh, she told the Sunday, yes, Paramount. So she worked with Paramount almost exclusively, whether really? it was through like parent companies or like subsidies that they had. What? She worked for Paramount almost exclusively. So he was a major director there. She told the Sunday Star in 1929 that a friend thought she would be well suited to the industry. Then she drove me over to the Paramount studio and dumped me out in front of the main office. So that's what she claimed her friend did for her. Damn. So, when she met DeMille in 1919, he asked her in which department she would like to start. And at first she was like, I think I should, like, design sets. And then he, like, asked her what a piece of furniture was in his office. Mm -hmm. And she couldn't give the correct answer. At all, yeah. So he was like, maybe you should just take a little time and look at all the different facets of the industry and see which one you belong in. It was kind of really unique for that time, where it wasn't just this fucked hard director being like, you don't know shit. You should just, no, or, or you're, you're so 
pretty. Just go be in the pictures. Like, yeah. go be an actress. Go be a this. Go be a secretary yeah. for an office. He was like, he was like, just out. stop for a second and realize that like you don't have to fit into any specific niche. Yeah, do what works. You can do what you want to do. Damn. Well, then she started There's, typing scripts. So that she could learn, like, the ins and outs of, like, what film is all about. She started, Mm. like, doing manuscripts and, like, just typing up scripts. She became an editor at, like, a smaller, like, sub-studio of Paramount. And there she edited 52 film scripts, okay? Mm. And so then we're in 1922. She was recalled to Paramount's main studio. So Paramount was like, yo come back here. We're the main one. Like, we want you to work for us. Yeah. And she was to edit this Rudolph Valentino film, Blood and Sand, which premiered in 1922. Can I pause you? Did, was it, wait, was it the World War One Or World War, what was she in before? So both come into play. She... After World War One, realized that there was a lacking of women in the okay. film industry. And so went World into War that. One was I. The, I need my dates. Nineteen oh seven to nineteen fourteen. Okay. It, she she melds into both wars because basically she realizes after World War One ends that oh, the industry wow. is okay. lacking in women, and then World War Two rolls around and she starts to make like informational videos for like soldiers and factory workers in World War Two. What? Yes. Okay, cool. So yeah, I that's nuts. Okay, so she's already kind of gone through World War One, right? Getting into that industry, and yep. they're starting to like because yeah, a lot of people died in World, but, World War One. So here's kind of the thing too, and that rolls into exactly what we were talking about. So she she like learns to be an editor. She's like editing scripts, this yeah. and that. This proved to be her opportunity to direct in oh. 1922. Although she was unaccredited, Arzner shot some of the bullfighting scenes for a film. And edited this footage, intercutting it with stock footage, therefore saving Paramount thousands of dollars. What? So she was like one of the first female directors to not only shoot a successful film, but also save them thousands of dollars in the process because she incorporated stock image. That's what I was trying to get out. It's word vomit. (laughs) It happened. So this work caught the attention of director James Cruz at the time, who would later employ her as a writer and editor for a number of films. According to Arzner, Cruz told people that she was his right arm. So that's what he referred to her as. So basically um, she, at this point, she was just doing all the editing. So yes. she wasn't necessarily doing any of like the shooting. She would just gather everything. Yep. And she would just break everything she, down She was everyone. like behind, the person behind the real magic. Exactly. Where it's like, yeah, the footage is a lot of it, but you need to have that person really kind of hone it in together to make it fluid. and Absolutely. Yeah. And through her work with Cruz, she gained considerable leverage and threatened to leave Paramount for Columbia if she was not given a picture to direct. Before leaving, she decided to say goodbye to someone important and not just leave unnoticed and forgotten. Meanwhile, she was talking about Walter Wagner, the head of Paramount's New York studio. Wagner offered her a job in the scenario department, and they had a discussion about directing sometime in the future. She replied, not unless I can be on a set in two weeks with an A picture. I'd rather do a picture for a small company and have my own way than a B picture. 
for Paramount. Damn. And you know what? Think of the times. He was not just asking her. That is some straight up, like, if you have sex with me, I'll think about it. Exactly. But it all depends on... So apparently, Wagner then offered her a chance to direct a comedy based on the play The Best Dressed Woman in Paris, which would later be entitled Fashions for Women, Arzner's First Picture. Mm, Honestly, like, the majority of the films that she made were silent films. Oh, oh yeah, that was. That was a thing. Right. So that was her first thing. But she later moved into non-silent films, but that was even, like, a super huge adjustment. She played the assistant to a lot of like male directors you know she put well, her like time at first in. but so at the end of the did, day yeah. she knew that she wanted to be her own director and yeah and that is like charge. well and that's pretty badass of her to think to look I'm gonna learn I'm gonna be as a director I'm kind of above a lot of other people and she learned every other person's job that she'd be working with it sounds like so then yeah. she knew what was expected of them which mm-hmm. is so badass her being like i was in your position don't fucking tell me you can't do that like i know i know i i did that you can do it you know which is really badass of her to think that far ahead of like i'm gonna make a career for myself like right that's so that's super true dude i didn't really think about that that's very badass damn um but yeah she constantly like turned controversial societal views of women upside down instead of pitting two women against each other she would buy into the narrative of women as rivals she complicated interrogated uh typical views of women by portraying genuine moments and connection between characters cool so Um, she was pretty experimental she was very well she was a lesbian she was like outwardly a lesbian she dressed like a man. She was like the Sundance Film Festival of the 20s. Yeah, she wasn't afraid to hide who she was. And it's funny, when she was asked about, like, which one of her works was her favorite, she, like, said she couldn't say which one was her favorite because they were all so flawed. She continued to themize the issues of female performance, female relationships, and societal mobility. Many of her films analyzed the interrogation of the male gaze which is something interesting yeah male like how males look at you how males look at women yeah no that's cool yeah mainly in like a lot of like drag situations i had no idea that it was a thing why do more people not use that term when you're being gawked at of the male gaze oh like why are you male gazing me like that's way better than like, can I help you? Why are you staring at me? Take a picture to last longer. Take a picture to last longer. So she was doing all that shit about the male gazing. That yes. is such a good term. I love it. Um, so okay. why is she important? She literally created the first boom mic. Y'all ever heard of a boom mic? Yeah. This bitch <laughs> took a fishing pole and strapped a microphone to the end because she was working with so at the time she was in this transitional period of entertainment where it was stage actors becoming film actors yeah and that and transition. film actors didn't know how to act in front of the camera and they didn't know how to incorporate or like dance around the camera maybe would be a like or you're talking about like stage two 
TV. Right. They didn't know how to transition that. And so it was really difficult. And so she created this fucking device, this apparatus where she literally strapped a microphone to a fishing pole and like so that she could dodge around the actors like awkward moments and like get and still sound. get quality sound that, that is, was her whole thing i had no idea so that is she such a commonly used yeah. apparatus created the boom mic damn why why does no one hear of her exactly that is um, such a monumental Mental discovery. Yeah, she lived out her days in, like, Southern California in the desert with, like, her lesbian lover, which is dope. So working for Paramount the entire time. Like, she right up Paramount. until her death. No, no. She quit eventually and became, like, a freelance Oh, I character. mean, you get in your 60s and you're like, I'm a do me. I'm in the desert, like, freelancing. Her partner was significantly older than her, so she kind of took care of her and, like, watched her mature and everything. She left Hollywood, but still was, you know, a reference. She was really good friends with, like, Lucille Ball and Joan Crawford. And then she lived in, like, the foothills. Exactly. (laughs) And, like... And just kind of lived her days out. Her, like, main achievements were that she got a Hollywood star. She has one? No way. I need to find it. And this is my favorite part. I'll leave you with this because I know you'll really like it. There was a documentary made about her. Well, about... It was called The Golden Gate Girls in 2014. It was about all the women in film. And Judith Main, who is the author of her autobiography, titled Directed by Dorothy Arzner, is interviewed in the documentary saying, I love the fact that history of women filmmakers now would include Dorothy Arzner as one of the real exceptions. Who proved it was entirely possible to build a film career, a successful film career, without necessarily being part of mainstream identity. That's amazing. That's so cool. So, like, her legacy lives on. And she lived until she was 82, you know? She was dope. My woman was 82 when she died. (gasps) That's weird. The 82s. Does she not get any recognition? I never knew. Exactly. How many times have I used a fucking boom mic and never known that that was a thing? Like, that is so unfortunate that women in history, they do so much. Like, she did so much. My girl freaking walked like 30 miles a day. What the fuck? Bro, I walk like five miles a day and I'm like... Beat. I did it! Yeah. And she would like man blizzards and shit, you know, and no one knows about that stuff, Mm. which is unfortunate. I feel like, and that's a big thing when we talked about the whole literate thing, but not writing stuff down out of fear of like penalty, you know, for it. You know, so think of all the people that shouldn't have necessarily lost the battle, but just didn't get a chance to write it down. And like, who's to say the people that wrote it down are right? You know, they're just the people that won. So they get to like. Should we just end? Because I'm getting yeah. into like my I'm high and philosophical, and I'm gonna have like some mixed feelings about the world. Mixed drinks <laughs> about feelings is what we're having. Yeah. Oh, funny. Okay. Well, thanks for tuning in. Fun. Thank you, everyone. I'm gonna pour some more Subscribe, wine, even though it's wine. a Tuesday. See our corresponding Instagram posts for any additional resources, or feel free to reach out to our direct email at untoldhistory, spelled H-I-G-H-S-T-O-R-Y, at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Like, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram.